We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principal, episode 98 with Doug Tim. Doug Tim is a principal out in Delaware at Cary Downey Elementary School, and uh, he and I have been chatting with each other on Voxer for a while, and I'm really excited for you to chat with him today. He is going to talk about how he does instructional rounds with his coaches at his school and how powerful that is. He's focusing on Bloom's taxonomy, and it's really good. There's a a picture of the results from his walkthroughs in the show notes, so please make sure you check that out. And uh, if you would like to get a copy of the form that he's using, just uh, subscribe to the newsletter and I will put it in there and uh, you'll be able to access it. So thank you so much for listening and I hope that you enjoy this interview with Doug Tim. All right, welcome to Transformative Principle. Today I am honored to have Doug Tim on the podcast. I've been a friend and follower of Doug Tim for a while and he always has amazing things to say and I are in a boxer group together and I've just learned a ton from him so I'm excited to finally have him on the show today. Tim is a principal in Delaware and it is a different experience than what I'm doing out in Alaska but there are a lot of great things that that he's doing that I want to make sure people knew about. So Tim do you want to start by talking about what your observations are like and how you are doing some neat things with those. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you a little bit of background information. That'll work too. Yeah, I've been an administrator for eight eight or nine years and I worked in a middle school for seven years. Um, I've been in my current position at Cary Downey Elementary School in the Colonial School District for a little over a year and a half. And in doing that, uh, was, this is my first principalship uh, where I had really, you know, ultimate sort of say in what was going on. And I knew I wanted to kind of create an atmosphere within the school of community innovation and pushing technology 
within a framework of looking at standards and using those as the beginning of how we are going to push our students. That was how the work started. And then we were fortunate enough to work with um, a group teacher and they introduced us to instructional rounds. And not only instructional rounds, but they call them cognitive growth targets, which is really just a, a packaged way of talking about Bloom's taxonomy. When we um, looked at it through that lens and added a layer to what I was already thinking, that not only do I want students to create really cool things and show mastery of standards in that way, but I really want them to be pushed to think beyond just comprehension and recalling information. I really want them to analyze and reason things and metacognate about stuff and all that Bloom's wording put in there. And that's what pushed the thinking to where we are now and why I track it in a way to share with staff so that they understand that you know we need to push thinking as much as we are pushing content. So that's a little bit of a background. Really, it started la- at the beginning of last year with a few trainings, face-to-face stuff where we just kind of sat down and we looked at tasks that students were doing. So now when doing observations, I don't really look at the teacher per se. I look at what they're doing and what they're assigning. And then I look at what the students are doing and assigning. Our first meeting on this was there was five or six of us and we spread out into two different classrooms and basically wrote down every single thing that we saw or heard a kid or the teacher say or do uh, over about a 25 minute period. It was super reflective in that when we came back, you know, we had mounds of information that we needed to sort through. So we basically just started listing every single task that we saw a child do or the teacher do. And this became quite a big list. I mean, this was maybe a 45-minute reflection session. And the teacher was just the, the group that had done instructional um, the instructional rounds. At that point, we looked at each of the tasks and applied it, our Bloom's taxonomy to that. So we looked and said, you know, is this recalling information? Is this analyzing information? Did that question ask kids to reason or whatever? And what we found very quickly was that the majority of the things that the students were doing were just either retrieving information or comprehending information. You know, even if, you know, in one particular case, you know, a teacher had um, students at six different centers and you would think wonderful differentiation as far as the activity, but the tasks themselves only made them think through comprehension. And that was eye-opening to all of us. We kind of realized, because when we left there, we were thinking, wow, that was an awesome lesson. That was great stuff. I mean, they were engaged and the kids were doing stuff, but they were doing six different things that were all asking of them sort of the same skill and thinking of comprehending. And how can we differentiate not only activities, but differentiate the way that kids think? And that's where we pushed ourselves. We came up with ideas, as many as we could, in that room, in that 45 minutes of what could we have done differently? How can we have tweaked this question and this task just a little bit, giving the teacher some of that information back, and then you know let them run with it? So it has changed, transformed my way of thinking about when I talk to teachers about their lesson plans and what they have coming up. And it has enabled us to have a really good dialogue in common language where it's not threatening. So, you know, for example... The best example I can think of this year recently was third grade team. We were in about a book they were reading, and they had a question that they wanted to ask about Charlotte's Web was a book. I'm sorry. I was having a moment there. And they were talking about how Charlotte would feel on the farm and creating uh, webs and collecting insects and what Charlotte's life is like on the farm. And they wanted the kids to kind of do a personal narrative of Charlotte's life on the farm. Well, that's great. That's just comprehending 
what they read in the story. So to push the kids thinking, so let's give the kids some context knowledge of what it is to live in a city. And how would Charlotte's life have been different if Charlotte lived in a skyscraper in New York City? So you're really kind of thinking you have to put yourself, you have to know, obviously understand what you know about Charlotte, but then apply some other thinking involved in that and kind of um, put yourselves in the shoes of Charlotte in the city. And that's not a major shift, but enough of a shift that really gets kids to think. And that's kind of the way in which I try to approach and giving people feedback at this point. How do kids think perspective, if that makes sense? I know that was a, probably a long rambling answer, but. No, it was really great. And I appreciate that. And to sum up, basically, the approach that you're taking with your instructional rounds and your walkthroughs is moving people down the depth of knowledge chart or up the Bloom's taxonomy chart, whichever way you want to talk about it, so that we're doing more analyzing, reasoning, creating, self-actualization kind of stuff with them. And your observations are specifically focused on that. Now, is that all that you're looking for or are you doing everything else too? But this is just a way for you to see what's going on. Yeah. No, I mean, you still, obviously, when you are in a classroom, if there's problems with management or relationships between a teacher and a student, and you notice that those need to be improved. I mean, those are things you obviously, you know, need to address as well. But I would say my focus when I'm in there is on tasks and tasks specifically. I mean, unless the management is to the point where it's affecting the classroom itself. And that way I go a different route. That's more of an evaluative route. But some of the other things are in place. You know, this is what is pushing my thinking with the teachers is, what tasks are they doing? Like, what exactly do you want the students to do? And sometimes having that conversation, you know, teachers realize, you know what, what I actually want them to do is not what I'm asking them to do. So I need to change what I'm asking them to do to really get where I want them to be. And just thinking through that process. And I think that that's a reflective process, but it also is one to help push the teacher's thinking. So, and we have a tool. I mean, it's a really simple form that we fill out uh, myself and the coaches. We've used it second half of last year and this year and it's just teacher name the task that we noticed that the overall right you know task of the room if there's six different things going on we kind of pick the main task and then identify where it falls in that scale and we've tracked it we probably have about 120 something data points and what i want to see and what i share with staff from time to time is where are we are we still in that retrieving comprehending and how do we move to analyzing and reasoning more you have to do comprehension. You have to do retrieval of information at times. It's inevitable. We're not going to live in, in a reasoning world. Get there. And we need to get there as, as much as we possibly can. That's kind of the idea for all of that. Cool. So why is it so important to move up Bloom's taxonomy? And not just like we all know what it is and we know that it's important to do that. But why are you taking such a strong stance on it now when you maybe haven't before? It's a good question. I don't know that I didn't before. I just don't know if I truly understood what it looked like or what it could look like. I don't know, you know, through my the work last year, and we did these large group sessions of instructional rounds four total times. And then I did them on a smaller scale with just my coaches an additional three or four times. And I think through those conversations... I really began to realize the importance of how kids think and why Why do we need to make sure that our kids are thinking and being creative beyond just recalling information. And 
And then I go back to, you know, what they always say about the U.S. educational system versus the world. Well, you know, be lacking in that. We are still the creators of content for the world. I mean, when new products come out, they generally come out of the U.S. because we are creators. We are people that think beyond, you know, just replicating something that may already be done. We want to come up with new innovative ways of doing that. And if you can't train your brain to analyze and reason and all of those, I mean, it goes way beyond analyzing reasoning. But if you can't train your brain to do that and you can't practice that, then, you know, innovation stops and all you're doing is just regurgitating stuff that's already been done before. So I, it's really a much bigger picture for preparing kids to, to be problem solvers. But you have to practice those skills. And I've seen where, you know, students, if they can't necessarily find the answer right away, they get frustrated. And that's that little bit of a fixed mindset as well. Where's the answer? Well, the answer might not be there. You know, that's that making inferences. Um, what do you think the answer could be? And then how would you defend that? And why is it important to defend your answer? I guess it just clicked for me through multiple conversations and seeing this in practice. And the other part to it that I didn't mention earlier was when in a observation anymore, I don't make inference. There are no good observations or bad observations. There is just what you see and what actually happens. And I think when you go in not thinking that was great, or, or I should say when you leave, not thinking that was great, it trains you also to really take it for what it is. I know as a teacher, I would oftentimes grade papers of students and say, oh, I know what he meant there. That was, that's exactly what he meant. And I'm going to give him, you know, an, an A plus, but really it was probably C plus work. But I just, I kind of know the kid and, you know, I make an inference and he just had a bad day and I'm going to give him an A. But that's not really what happens. And that's not really what happened or that's not really what he wrote. So it's not about whether or not I like you. It's not about whether or not I think that the lesson is good. It's about what actually happened and really documenting that and then using that to try to improve. And my feedback has been, I think anyway, I think has been much more powerful just because it's a conversation, you know, it oftentimes starts with a question or I mean, it starts with a praise, but then it goes from there to questions. Well, and I really like that idea of not making inferences and observations because that's a really easy thing to do. And teachers also make those inferences and think, oh, well, he's asking me a question, so it must have been awful or he is doing whatever. So it must have been awful. And and they're making those inferences also. And I think that's a really, really powerful statement because you don't want it to be about that. You want it to be about what actually was there, what it looked like, what it sounded like, and what you saw, not what you think you saw or what you think they were trying to do. I mean, if they were trying to do some sort of creating and all they were doing was retrieving you know, there's a big difference there in, in those two levels. And uh, it's important to not make those inferences. So that's a, that's an awesome point you made. Yeah, I would also say the one thing I've done since this, and maybe I did a little bit before, but it's actually talking to the kids during an observation. How often does the observer just sit in the back of the room and write down stuff or type away? I sit at a desk with the kids and I listen to them talk when they're doing group work and I ask them questions. You know, what are you supposed to be doing right now? What were you thinking when you wrote that answer? Or, you know, that was a good point. Why did you go there with that? Because I think you can add that into the conversation. It might not necessarily be a part of the, the written document that you submit to a teacher as an observation, but it certainly can be a part of the conversation you have with the teacher afterwards and say, you know, this, this group over here was talking about this and 
why do you think they went there? Where was there either a misconception or where did they even extend that thinking? And, and they could have been pushed a little further. So, you know, I kind of bed myself, if that makes sense, into the classroom as much as possible, when, which in elementary school is kind of hard when you're six foot tall, but <laughs> I did the best I can. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you bring that up because I got a um, piece of feedback from one of my teachers last year that said that she really didn't like it when I came into the classroom and sat away from the kids and what she wanted me to do was come in and sit right next to a student and like get in their business and see what was what they were doing so that I could know more about the lesson and what was interesting was that was what I typically did last year and like three or four times in a row there wasn't seats available next to kids because she had full classrooms and good attendance and so there weren't any places for me to sit. And I remember thinking that it was fascinating that she recognized that and wanted me to do that so that I could have a better idea of what was actually going on. And that's a really, really good way to connect with the kids and connect with the teachers as they're doing their lesson. Yeah. It also takes it away from, I always used to hate the Good morning, Mr. Tim, from the whole class when I entered the room. It's like, I don't need that. Like, let's just continue on. Like, that's a disruption. Like, you don't need to say good morning to me as a whole class. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I don't want to be a stranger. No. A couple of kids can smile. Smile away, a couple of high fives. <laughs> yeah, totally. When you do these uh, observations, are they tied to your evaluation system or are you doing these separately from that evaluation system? It's a great question. There's uh, really like a two-pronged approach. We, we have a, a state evaluation system, which we actually just modified and have not been trained on the new system yet. It's the same idea of observation, but it's a new, a new way of form, I guess is the best way of saying it. So it's going to look a little different this year, and I actually haven't started any official observations. But the other part to it is this coaching model that's a, a weekly, and, and you do have people that I've assigned myself to people and my two coaches are assigned to people as well. And it's a weekly observation and then a follow-up feedback meeting. And it's somewhat formalized. It's not nothing that's necessarily recorded anywhere or put in anyone's file, but it's formalized in that it does occur on a weekly basis. And the teachers know when we're coming and then give feedback. And I guess a third prong approach to that is I just, I don't know, I call them like walkabouts. You know, I can't sit in my office for more than 15, 20 minutes at any given time. I just get antsy. And I think that's just a personal issue of mine, but I get up and I just walk around. And when I'm in classrooms, I do use my phone or, or iPod and I do record when I'm in there. You know, if I'm in there a good five or 10 minutes and I can identify the task, I do record at that point where they're falling in the cognitive growth target. Like I said, this form, we started out with this thing being like eight different sections and realized, you know what? We don't need that. We need teacher name, task, cognitive growth target, or bloom taxonomy. Where does it fall? That's it. That's all we needed. That's the only thing we're trying to track right now. So it comes in multiple forms. So to answer your question, there is the official observation system. That does occur. And then there are these official walkthroughs. But after that, it's really just me, the coaches, you know, getting up, walking around, being a part of the school, seeing what's happening. You know, I take a lot of videos and pictures, a lot of stuff. So if I'm not in classrooms, I can't do that either. So, you know, that's kind of the idea. You know, back to your other point about the teachers saying, you know, I want you to sit with the kids. The other thing that has been transformed or, or changed from you know, what it used to be was I used to get asked a lot, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't, 
necessarily, I want you to teach the kids the best you can. That's what I want you to do. It's not about what I want. It's really about what is the need that you have right now in your classroom. And it's a little bit of a shift, but I want them to be real and authentic and be okay that when we have feedback or when I give you feedback, it's not saying that you're doing something wrong or bad. It's saying, how can we do it a little bit better? And there's definitely a back and forth. And every time that I've had a feedback session with somebody and I've been wrong, <laughs> quite frankly, and I admit it. And, you know, the teacher has called me out and said, no, that's not what happened. And, you know, why don't you come again and see, and I'll show you because maybe I misunderstood something. So I think it's all, I mean, you know, Jethro, we talk about this all the time, but it back to relationships as well. That has to be put in place before you can, you know, I think really give good feedback. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So at my last school, it took me three years to get to this point. But towards the, the end of the third year, I had a couple teachers that would say, hey, I'm going to try something new and I want you to come in and see it. I don't care if you use it for my formal evaluation or not, but I'm going to do something new and I want you to see what it's like because I want your feedback about how it worked out. And for them to get to that point where they know that I care about them doing their best and they want to try something new that they know isn't going to be good, but want to find the holes in it. That was amazing. And those teachers who got to that point were really taking it up to the next level and were being incredibly professional and doing fantastic things that they weren't trying to please me. They were trying to reach their students. And when, when that conversation changed to, I'm going to reach my students and you need to come in so that I have somebody else watching who can say, yes, you're doing that. It was incredible. And so it made our relationship better. It made their teaching better. It made everything so much better. It was amazing. Yeah. And it really, I mean, I think it kind of also just solidifies the fact that they have a growth mindset. You know, I kind of had the same experience and, and probably more last year. Absolutely. When, especially when a teacher says, I'm going to try something for the first time today. Can you come yeah, in? Totally. You know, the first time that I'm, you know, let's just have delivered some sort of PD that I never was really uncomfortable with, would really want my boss to be there because if it messes up, <laughs> I mean, who knows? But, uh, you know, and my boss is super, 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 super supportive. But you're right. That's a great feeling to have, to be invited in the classroom. There's nothing better than that. You just hope that no emergencies arise that you <laughs> you have to go put any fires out on the way down the hallway. But assuming that all that all goes well, invited in a classroom by a teacher, it's something that they want that feedback. And I think sometimes they do want to hear a good job. So I know I maybe sound sort of harsh or cold in that I don't say good job or bad job, but I do give them praise. And that might sound something like, it was impressive how it only took your students 10 seconds to go from one activity to the next. You know, your transitions are really, really tight and that really benefits student learning, you know? So the praise is, is definitely something that you need to continue, but it's cool that you brought that up because that is something special. Yeah, it definitely is. I, I know that we need to uh, get wrapped up as far as time goes. I want to ask you the uh, final question, which is, 
what is one thing that someone can start doing today to be a transformative principal like you? Probably the one thing that someone can do today to become a transformative principal. Uh, assuming that you have a good relationship with your building and your staff, I think what you really need to do is just kind of fund your building and see and figure out exactly what focus that you want to have, whether it be technology, literacy, math, whatever it might be, you know, student ownership over something, but really just walk around and, and take the pulse of your building and say, where are we and where do we need to go from here? And then get your team together and figure out how to get there. And I think that, you know, too many of us have too many focuses and too many ways that we want to schools and we might hear something from somebody or see something on Twitter and say, oh, we're going to do that. And then a week later, oh, we're going to do this or, oh, we're going to try that. Try to keep that focus as much concentrated on whatever it is where you think you're building is and go with it and be consistent and understand that the process to get to where you want to be is the learning. There is no real end game in education. There's no finish line. So how do we keep the focus on something where there is no finish line and then continue to, to progress towards it? And I think that that's it's more of an idea than something you can actually do. Um, but I do think walking around the building and being in every classroom as much as possible and getting that idea of where you are and where there are some holes that need to be improved on um, and then getting your team together to work on it is probably the thing that is most transformative. It's been the most transformative for me. I mean, I, I think that I have a pretty good idea of where the temperature of my building is and where I can push and when I should push and when I need to kind of pull back a little bit because I don't think you can move a building if you don't know that. And people will say the right at times, but if you're not out there observing it and talking with people, then you really don't know. So uh, as much as you can get embedded, right? That's right, man. That's, that's powerful. There is no end game in education. So true. Doug, how can people connect with you and learn more from you? I guess on Twitter, I'm at DougTim34. Uh, I do blog regularly and then there's a link on my uh, Twitter page. I'm on Google Plus as well. I also, we do weekly videos from our school. So if you look up Douglas Tim on YouTube, there's a picture of me and um, I use that as the school connection to our weekly video. So every week staff take pictures. We average between 150 and 300 pictures a week. I capture them, put them in a video with videos, and then that becomes a slideshow, put some popular music to it. It's usually about 15 to 20 minutes long and you can see what we're doing. And I try to interview kids a little bit as much as I can and, and have fun with it. And it's not always an academic focus, but that's okay because um, the videos are really for the community. It's not necessarily for any other reason. And they don't want to see a bunch of boring stuff all the time. So we try to spice it up a little bit. But I have a wonderful staff that is super supportive. We are not a very large building, 385 students, but I think we have a pretty powerful message. So the Twitter feed, our hashtag CD Dolphins, me on Twitter, and then our YouTube uh, weekly videos as well as some other short things I put up there are probably the way that we get our message out the most. Yeah, um, you're doing a lot of awesome stuff and we could probably talk for hours. And in fact, I think we have talked for hours on Voxer about all the cool things you're doing. So thank you so much. And I appreciate your time doing this today. Yeah, Jethro, I mean, great job. I really appreciate you just reaching out to me. I'm very, very humbled. <laughs> <laughs> to uh to be a part of this so I, I do appreciate it and i do definitely look forward to talking to you uh maybe even later today or tomorrow or, or monday so anyway thanks a lot Jessica. appreciate it <laughs> thank you all right sir
Really great interview with Doug Tim. He is an awesome principal. And please make sure you check out his YouTube channel like he suggested. He's got some amazing things on there. And he walks around with a little microphone and interviews kids. And it is so cool. We didn't have time to get into that today. But maybe we can have him back on another time and uh, get some more of that. Just want to say thank you for listening to this episode I know that I have learned so much from doing this, and I hope that is helping you become a better leader yourself. Last week, I mentioned the uh, Picker app that we developed at my school, and uh, it's been doing some working out amazingly for us on my website, jethrojones.com. If you click on the Presentations tab, you can see more information about the presentations we did at the Principals Conference earlier this year that worked out really well. Really glad that we had that opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principal. I am Jethro Jones. Have a great day. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Edu Podcast Network. If you want to learn something new, check out Jennifer Gonzalez's Cult of Pedagogy podcast. She's got a great website with beautiful design and produces really great content all the time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.